We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato. Today, we're here to continue the pre-draft New York Giants mailbag. That'll be answering questions from you guys on the draft and other things. Nick, before we do any of that, how you doing today, my friend? Doing excellent, Dan. Doing excellent. Going through some film, watching some prospects who could potentially be New York Giants. Me too, man. Watching film, cramming on draft profiles for CBS Sports. I just did one on Christian Watson. I'm doing my next one on your boy, Shaboy. I should call him uh, Dotson from Penn State. I'm a big fan of him from what I've seen so far. Haven't watched much yet. And then I'm going to have my ultimate sleeper. I got a guy in this class, Nick, I want to talk about at some point. And this is obviously a preamble before the mailbag, who I think might end up ultimately being the best value in this class. Just going to throw his name out there right now. You can say anything you want. If you have something to say, or if you want to save it, should I guess the name? And well, you tweeted about him today, so I think there's a good chance you might be able to guess it. But yeah, go go for it if you feel it. Uh, I actually didn't see the tweet, so we'll okay, just good. Go. Yeah. Um, well, I was expecting a position because I'm not 100 certain. You you want me to get position? That's fine. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, position hint would be wide receiver. Uh, so he is a wide receiver. Uh, would it be Khalil Shakur? No, that is a that is like the most buzzy player right now. But it's not. Okay. Is it Jalen Tolbert? Nope. It's not Sky Moore, is it? No, he's he's too high. Yeah, he I was gonna say, he's way too high. This is a guy who could potentially. Though I don't even understand why he's being talked about now on day three, considering what I, I'm giving away too many hints. But what happened at the combine? But he could potentially be there day three, or even in round three. Oh, okay. the I yeah, no, I did see it, and I, and I tweeted about him about a week ago, and it's Tyquan Thornton. Yes, favorite. it is, and I missed your tweet from a week ago. I just I just went back and looked at. It. I was doing some digging on Thornton. I've only seen a few games so far, Nick. And then I also watched Matt Wallman's breakdown of him. Um, Wallman does a great job breaking down tapes on these on these prospects. Um, but from the few games I've seen and from the traits I'm looking for, my God, I don't really understand. 
I don't I don't get it right now with his projection. Like I'll be honest with you. Like to me, he's an arbitrage play on a player I love in this draft who we're gonna get to at some point, Christian Watson. He's almost an arbitrage play for me. Like he's gonna go potentially 50, 60, maybe more picks after Watson. I think they offer a lot of the same thing. And I think that that Thornton might be much, much, much better at the catch point. Yeah, I really like Thornton. And it's weird too, because he is good at the catch point from everything that I've seen. I haven't done an eval on him, but I've watched film on him. But the guy has like Will Fuller hands, like very, very, very small hands, like eight and a half inches, which is, it has to be like the fifth percentile for wide receivers. But he has over 33 inch arms and he does a lot of things well and he's more nuanced than I thought. I would love for the Giants to get that guy on day three. And it's crazy, too, because we'll get to it later when we do an eval of Watson and potentially Thor. And then we're also going to try to do like position breakdowns. Like I was coming up with that idea. I was going to talk to Nick about that off pod. I don't we get a chance to. But position breakdowns will kind of have go by position as it gets close to the draft with best values on each day. Um, best values overall. Players we're targeting. Players we wouldn't target. Stuff like that. Um, and then an overall top five of the positions. Something like that. But, you know, it's funny because you mentioned the hand size. A lot of people harp on the hand size. And you're right. His hand size isn't great. But when you watch his tape, it looks like a player who has massive hands. He's plucking balls away from his frame consistently. He's plucking balls in contact, in tight windows, in contested catch situations. And then you flip that and you go versus a guy like Christian Watson, who had insane 10 plus inch hands, 10 and a half inch hands at the combine, like massive hands. And I have a lot of questions. About, I don't have many questions about his game, but one of my biggest questions for Watson's game is his ability to make contested catches at the catch point and is his hands. He had 16 drops on just 120 targets. Like that's a really bad number for Christian Watson over at North Dakota state. And I have some issues with his ability, you know, his hands, even though he has the bit much, much bigger hands, like you would expect to project to the next level. It's not, I don't know if it's always about that. Yeah, I think it's an interesting thing that we'll probably go over more extensively whenever we do that wide receiver breakdown, which I'm looking forward to because I've been going over a lot of these wide receivers and it's another pretty talented class. I don't think it's as good as some of the recent ones, but it's it's got a lot of players who we're going to know once they get to the NFL and they'll have an impact. Yeah, maybe not as good at the top, but there are some really, really, really intriguing day two, day three, and potentially day four options oh, yeah. at receiver. And I can't wait to do that pod because receiver is by far, in a way, I've just told you in the past, Nick, the position I like to scout the most is receiver than running back. It's the ones I feel most comfortable with. It's the ones I think I have a, uh, the best track record with as well. So I can't wait to do that, but we're going to do that later for now. We're going to dive into the mailbag. We did part one earlier. Let's dive into part two right now and start with this one. One that just came in on my Twitter that I literally would have missed if I didn't just go take a look. And so it comes from MBR. He says, there's been a lot of talk about trading back and having to get a first next year to trade up for the quarterback. But is it a possibility to trade down this year, IG with the Saints, then next year trade for a 2024 first round pick to move up and take a quarterback in that class? Uh, or no, sorry, what he's saying is, I, I misread that. What he's saying is, then with the first round pick, they instead of trading back for a first round pick this year, they use their 2024 first round pick, the Giants, to then trade up for a quarterback in the 2023 class. I mean, that's something that they could do. And then you're just stockpiling on assets now and then just spending your first round pick in 2024 to move up in 2023. I'm just wondering, and it all depends on all those five other teams that we mentioned yesterday, where those first round picks lie. And we don't know that quite yet because that team could suck this year. And then whatever first round pick they own 
could also suck. And then they have like five and seven, <laughs> like right. the Giants do at the moment. So, I mean, it's going to be a little bit hard to tell, but it's it's something that could materialize, I guess. I mean, yeah, you always have the 2024 first round picks. I don't, personally don't like trading our first round picks, but if it's to go up and get your guy, then yeah, you're going to do it. I think it's a little risky. I think it's an interesting idea. All these outside the box ideas I'm interested in hearing and kind of working through and debating and going over their fun and they could be useful, but I think it's a little risky to trade the 2024 first because the Giants could have a really bad record in 2023. You don't want to really give up a top asset for a blue chip guy to build around that next quarterback, whether that be at receiver or, you know, even if they just say F it and they want to take trade back from that pick or something or take an amazing like Quinton Nelson type interior offensive lineman or a tight end if there's some kind of two-way tight end that's a beast in that class. Giving up all those options potentially to build around that quarterback. Now, how do you get that quarterback? Well, that leads to an interesting question because one thing that we haven't talked about a bunch, I put this out on Twitter today, Nick, and I'm curious to get your take. It's kind of a galaxy brain idea that I had today. So we keep talking about, oh, the Giants, if they trade back from five or seven, we want them to get a first round pick. If the Giants are going to trade back. We want them to get a 2023 first round pick. That's next year's class. But the problem with that is it doesn't really do anything to guarantee them a quarterback. If it's a two quarterback class next year, which it very well could be with Stroud and uh, the kid from Bama who have for some reason blanking on his name right Bryce now, Young. Bryce Young, of course. Now, some people like Will Levis, my Penn State fans laugh at that. I've had, I just had a, I was ripped apart in a Penn State group chat this week by one of my friends and his friends that I know, and they're also my friends, because of my Levis take on Twitter. And I didn't even have a take. I was just saying, look, a lot of these guys love Will Levis, and I do kind of see the arm talent. But they're like, dude, that arm talent is not what you think it is. And I, I, I get it. Like, there's not too many great examples of him ripping through the air. It does kind of feel like they're onto something when they say he's like a better throwing version of Taysom Hill. <laughs> I kind of can see what they mean by that. But at the same time, there is some buzz around it. But let's say it's a two quarterback class. Well, even the Giants trade back for a first round pick and they have a 2023 first and whatever their pick is. And again, if they're looking for a quarterback, it means they probably weren't very good in 2022. That may not be enough because the teams picking at one and two might want quarterbacks. And that's, that's it. They don't get their quarterback. Then that's just simply it for the giants and their quarterback process. So there's no real guarantee unless you trade with a team that you can project has a good chance to be picking at one or two, Nick. And this is where I come in because my galaxy brain idea is this. Look, the bears are rebuilding. Now they did everything in their power to tear it down this off season. I listened to a podcast recently with Jason Fitzgerald, from over the cap. And he's like, this could be a next level bad bears team in 2022. He's like, this could be like a zero to two win type bears team. They've just totally gotten rid of every winning asset. They had Mac Hicks, Allen Robinson, their offensive line is still an absolute disaster. They really don't even have a true alpha receiver. They're banking on massive, uh, massive step forward. I guess I would say from Cole Komet, who I think again was overdrafted and a good reason why you don't draft tight ends that high if they're not super good prospects, but they're banking on a lot of young players to step up into these key roles that had filled in previous years when they didn't win many games anyway. Like even last year with all those players, they finished with the seventh overall pick. And that was because they luck box into a win against the Seahawks who did some really bad coaching and had some really bad mental errors in the fourth quarter of that game. Otherwise they would have had an even higher pick. So my, 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 my galaxy brain idea is this look, you don't want to delay the Justin Fields process too long. You don't want to delay his development too long. How about this, Chicago? We'll give you the fifth or the seventh overall pick in this class to find your blue chip tackle for Justin Fields. All you got to do is give us your next year first round pick and then more than what the Eagles just got from the Saints. Because the Eagles for the Saints, essentially, they traded the 16th pick and they got the 20 next year's first. They got 
a second round pick, a third round pick. So what the Giants could get is next year's first, this year's second from the Bears, next year's second from the Bears, and two third round picks to kind of even out from going from picking uh, trading five or seven instead of 16 like the Eagles trade to the Saints. And now next year you have a chance to have that Bears pick, which I think could be number one or number two overall. And now that's a lot of speculation, obviously on the Bears record and things of that nature. But I'm intrigued by that potential path for the Giants. That would be something. I mean, they drafted Tevin Jenkins last year. I think he had some back injuries that he was dealing with all last season, and maybe they even predated back to college. I think I heard that somewhere. So I think they probably have high hopes for Tevin Jenkins. But I don't know why they would want to – this new regime, now that Ryan Pace isn't there anymore, why would they want to trade next year's first when they're probably in a similar boat to the Giants knowing that they're going to suck this year? I guess it would just be to, in the immediate, get Justin Fields as progressed and as developed as possible. But uh, it, I don't know why Alex they would. brain because it's a stretch. Yeah, yeah. The idea would just simply be that, look, if you give Justin Fields this bad of a roster for too long, He's then done. you could really stymie his development and yeah. ruin who he could be as a prospect. That's a stretch, though. I'm not so sure the Bears or many NFL teams would be thinking that's worth the risk of what the 2023 first-round pick could be. But if they're thinking, look, there's two guys we like to help Fields right away, and we could trade back then from five or seven to get those two Saints first-round picks or something like that, well, now you're getting two potential guys, a wide receiver and a tackle, because you need another with Jenkins or a wide receiver and something else, whatever it may be, to help Justin Fields' development. It's an idea. I don't necessarily think the Bears are going to be as interested in this as I might be as a Giants fan or analyst, whatever. <laughs> but I'm definitely interested in that potential path because I think there's some down, back, down you know, drawbacks to trading for a 2023 first if it's going to end up being like a mid-round pick in the first round next year. And then the Giants ultimately just never have a shot at Stroud or Young. And that's the argument for not trading back right there. One of the big arguments is you already have two top 10 picks. Like That's rare. Not a lot of teams possess two top 10 picks. Here we are, both New York teams doing so. But that, and I've heard people say this, and I, and I would agree. Why don't you just take two guys in the top 10? And now you have two top guys in this 2022 draft class. You can get an offense, defense, both offense, both defense, do it in a variety of different ways, and then just add really, really good football players to your team. Whereas if you do trade that 2023, what if that team gets good, whoever you're trading with, and you end up with like the 28th pick or the 27th pick or something like that. Like no one thought the Bengals were going to be as good as they were this year. They didn't think they would have the 31st pick in the draft. And here we are, you know, one year later, they take that step forward. From picking what they took in the top five last year and now they pick 31st so nfl man it's quick man they're quick turnarounds you never know what that 2023 pick would be yeah you're right and i think ultimately the giants will take players at five and seven i said on the last spot it's my prediction as of now sticking with it at least for now and i think part of that is what you said you can get two blue chip guys that i think fit what not only the giants need right now but potentially the positions that shane believes in because he has made the case you know in his interview with john schmelk from earlier this offseason about his belief in positional value. Well, if that's true, and he does believe so much in positional value, then he could value taking a corner edge or offensive tackle as a potential blue chip guy at five or seven as being worth more than that potential of having that extra first round pick next year. Yeah, and I think that's a, a solid way to look at it. And like we always say on the podcast, Dan, there are a lot of ways to success here, or at least to bettering the team. There's not one defined way right now. The Giants are in a good position in this draft with two top 10 picks. Yep, without a doubt. All right, let's get to the next question. It's from KPG News who asks, I think there's a lot of speculation that Joe Shane will imitate what Brandon B. did with the Bills. There's a ton of talk, articles looking at Bean's draft. I think it's too much. 
Don't you guys think there's a chance he has his own view and it's not necessarily so strongly tied to Bean's view? Yeah, I think there's definitely a chance of that. We're, it's all speculation. And Dan and I, when we first went over this, we we tried to make that clear. Like he could have a much different approach than Brandon Bean, but we're just kind of connecting dots of what Brandon Bean has done since he learned under Brandon Bean and Brandon Bean was his mentor. Yeah, this could be a totally different thing. He could be like, well, you know what? I always liked what Bean did, but I always wanted to do it this way. And we never did it that way. And now this will be the first chance for him to kind of be on his own. So I think that's a good point. Yeah, Nick nailed it. We're going to do that this time of year. There's going to be articles. There's going to be content. There's going to be speculation with connecting, with dot connecting. I mean, that's the Giants are working out all these running backs, private visits and so on. And so we're connecting the dots that they might target one of these guys. But ultimately, if the draft comes and goes and they don't draft a running back, it's very possible. Like They just didn't like the value of any of these backs. They did a lot of work. They put in a lot of time, but they didn't ultimately find the best position for them to draft a running back within this class. And same could be true about Bean. He may, or I'm sorry, Shane. He may have some preconceived things that he learned under Bean about how to properly build a roster out, but that doesn't mean he's going to stick to them and adhere to them to a T because he may have his own viewpoints just working in the NFL for as long as he has and, and you know, being scouting for as long as he has as well. So he has his views on what positions are important, things of that nature. So I think you're on something for sure. I don't think it's it's fun to connect the dots, and I think we will connect the dots from this point on and moving forward and in the past, but it doesn't necessarily mean a one-to-one, apples-to-apples, this-is-going-to-happen type of thing. Absolutely. So Young Missile, our guy Young Missile, asks, should the Giants take a fourth-round swing at the wide receiver position to try and find a Gabe Davis type of diamond in the rough with injury history, with the injury history to the receiving core? And then, and then what position can they least afford to draft? Okay. That's the second question. Let's first do this one. Okay. On this question. Yes, of course, this is a great time to try and find a Gabe Davis. Now I'll be honest. Here comes my chance to wax poetic about Taekwon Thornton, the wide receiver out of Baylor. I simply don't understand why there's a chance he might go on day four or I'm sorry, on day three in round four. Now Davis, Gabriel Davis, I believe was 125 overall or 128 overall. I don't think there's any receiver that I think fits the Gabe Davis bill in the 125 range and on range. I looked at it today. There are some potential really speedy undersized guys who I like in that range, starting with both with uh, Bo Melton out of Rutgers. So I really, really like those speedy guys. And in addition to Melton, there's a few other guys who fit that similar type of billing as far as guys who can be taken at the wide receiver position, pick 120. Five-ish, or where you know, where did he go? One twenty-five or one twenty-eight, and it's not important where Gabe Davis went out of those two. But in that range, that can be steals. And those guys, to me, the only guy who I think kind of somewhat fits a size profile would be David Bell out of Purdue, who I do like. But otherwise, the guys I have my eye on are Melton, as I said, Wandale Robinson out of Kentucky, who I started watching, just watching Little Levis, and I was like, who is this guy? He looks freaking explosive and awesome. And Kyle Phillips, but those are all slot guys, and the Giants kind of have a smaller slot guy already. And Gadarius Tony for the for the long term, and I don't think a guy like Lyle Pierce is going to fall, and I'm not so sure you know a Mechie is going to fall. So for me, it's really Tyquan Thornton or Bust as far as those day four, uh, you know, round four range potential wide receivers go. But I actually can't figure out why he's even talked about as a as a round four guy, or even like to me like a late day three guy because he's has pretty he checks a lot of boxes for me nick he has the length at nearly six foot three he has the blazing speed he ran that insane four to eight at the combine but he also has the game you could see it on tape he accelerates away from defenders he high points the ball really well and catches away from his frame really well and he's really strong at the contact point too in traffic so he has all that 
He even has some nuances in his route running I like. I saw him run some really good routes in the red zone to create separation and on the vertical routes to create separation. And even on some of the in-breaking stuff, I think there's a lot more to be developed there too from his route running, but he has the natural tools I like that could lead to a better route runner at the next level. So for me, it's Tyquan Thornton. I got him circled. He's going to be my favorite value in the draft and probably ultimately will be the player. If he does end up falling into the range he's quote-unquote projected to go and fall into, he might end up being the one best value I want for the Giants in this class. Yeah, I like Thornton. I think Justin Ross is an interesting one. Now you're yeah. taking a huge risk with the the back injury and the foot injury that he suffered last season. And he didn't run that fast of a 40, but he was also recovering from a foot injury and didn't have that much time to train. I heard Matt Waldman bring that point up, and I didn't necessarily realize that he only had like six weeks to train for that 40-yard dash, which I think was in like the four sixes or something like that. But Justin Ross had top 10 hype a couple of years ago before the spinal injury, and he has some serious injuries, but it's a high upside swing on a true X type of receiver who has a similar size profile to Gabe Davis, but he's not as explosive. That's a great call. If for some odd reason, and not for some odd reason, if he falls, he, he's also in that range. The problem with Ross is I feel like if he is falling into the Gabe Davis range, it's not really necessarily a Gabe Davis who was like more like, oh, he played at a smaller school. How Can we really project this? For Ross, it's probably because people are just so concerned with the back and him ever yeah. having a lengthy career in the NFL because of his spinal slash back injuries. It's almost like, I don't know if I want to take that risk either. If all these other teams are passing and their medical guys don't want to take the risk. It's not like the Giants have the best track record of medical evaluations, let's just say. <laughs> I mean, translating to the next level, the Giants have to be among the worst in the NFL as far as like, Medi- how these guys are going to medically translate to the next level. They've just drafted so many injury-prone players. I can't imagine they're anything but in the bottom tier of that, right, Nick? Like, I, I don't follow every team, and I know you don't either, but it's been crazy how many just injury-prone guys the Giants have drafted. Yeah, and it didn't really work. Some of them worked out. Like, Terrell Thomas worked out. Sort of, but he didn't even have a long career, though. That's the thing. Like, do you want – is that considered a success story? Maybe. But he he was a solid player. Was he hurt entire 2011? Because I remember the Giants had some injuries in 2011, and I think he was included along with the middle linebacker that they had from Vanderbilt, and Will Beattie ended up getting hurt as well. I missed that entire season, which was entirely unfortunate. Uh, devastating, really, to be honest. But <laughs> I, I think Terrell Thomas was hurt in that season. Yeah. And that is devastating, but you were serving our country, Nick. So you're doing something better than any of us. You didn't, you can still watch the Super Bowl DVDs. They're fun. I did watch it when I got home. It was, it it's was an immediate awesome. watch, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I'll say again, just to answer your question. Thornton would be my guy, young missile, but I like a lot of these speedy slot types and I wouldn't be, hate like taking a Bo Melton on day, on day three. I love Bo Melton. I think he could be awesome. So I was so he's explosive, man. He's really explosive. Um, and again, another guy who was held back by playing and, a team that didn't pass the ball are early, often, or at any time well over at Rutgers. So definitely found a local guy there, Bo and Elton. Okay. And, Bo uh, I, yeah, and I want to say one thing too. Justin Ross is the Clemson wide receiver, Bo Melton Rutgers, as, as we just yep. said, just because we didn't mention Justin Ross's school. And uh, Young Missile also asked, Dan, what position can the Giants least afford to draft too high based on all their other needs? This is a great question. Um, I think my answer would be cut and dry. It would be Kyle Hamilton, the safety at at Notre Dame, who I really like. And I think ultimately is one of the best bets in this class and one of the best prospects in this class. But with McKinney on board already and just kind of the, I don't want to say ability to draft safeties as much as just how deep this safety class is. Like to me, there's a good chance the best player available at 36 will be a safety. And there's also a good chance the best player available if their next pick in the top of third round will also be a safety. And so 
with that said, and then I think it dries out a bit at safety, but there is a lot of dearth of talent that I think will be there on day two. And so with that said, and that's especially true because of cases that I've seen, like how far Xavier McKinney dropped. And a lot of these other guys who were played the safety position were checked, projected to be super high picks ultimately fell into the second round or even the third at times. And so with that said, I don't think the giants can afford to go with the luxury safety pick in the first round. Yeah, it's, it's difficult, man. I, I don't think I'd be upset if they went the Kyle Hamilton route at seven. I, I really like the player and I think he could do a lot, but I think you bring up really good points specifically because there are a lot of safeties in this draft who might be available at 36 who can really help your team. Uh, Giants desperately need safety right now. I think that's a, a solid argument. They desperately need a lot though at the moment. But if I had to pick a position and it's a position that was more synonymous with Dave Gettleman, it would be interior defensive line with the yeah. first with the first three picks. Good point. Good point. Good point. You nailed it. I missed that one. Yeah. And I, I think it's mainly because there are solid defensive linemen in this draft class, but there are possible, I don't want to use transcendent, but very, very unique defensive linemen who possibly could be available at 36. But I think there's going to be a lot of players that fall into that bucket. So I I don't want to go in that direction. And I think it is a low key need. I, I don't think it's not a need, but I just think you can find a John Ridgeway from Arkansas, maybe in the fourth round or a little bit after, or players like that, rather than going with somebody at 36, if somebody falls. I don't think Jordan Davis will fall that far. Devontae Wyatt's not going to fall that far, but Travis Jones might. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, he might. And if I'm going to take any of those guys, it would be Wyatt, actually, though I'm not interested in any of them. The only one I have any interest in of those three at where they're going to be picked would be Wyatt. Um, but again, I'm with Nick. I For a multitude of reasons, not just where the Giants are at right now at interior dental line. It's where the NFL is at. You're going to be able to find talent late. You're going to be able to find talent on the waiver wire every single year for cheap. I mean, there's just so many reasons to not take interior defensive linemen early in the draft. Unless, of course, you think you found Aaron Donald or and some some people would say Jeffrey Simmons watching Simmons tape because when he's at the top of his game, Simmons, he's really, really freaking good at rushing the passer. And so I don't know. I think I stand with you, though. That's probably the best answer. Defensive tackle. Yeah, I think that that is it. And Dan, Nick asked about the same question that we heard before. If Neil and Nicky are gone, would you go cross? We, we did that in the last episode, Nick. So if you want if you haven't listened to that, please go back and listen to that. But he also asked. If they were to go with a mid-round tackle, who is the tackle that you like best? Now, we touched on this last episode, but it wasn't so direct, so I wanted to acknowledge it. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I want to watch more of these guys, but I don't have too many guys that are going to be on my radar. I Like I said last episode, I think the tackles, once you start going into that day two range at tackle, you're really drafting projects for the most part as far as what we've seen trends in the NFL. And in almost every class, it seems to be the case. There are some guys that intrigue me. We went over them last time. I want to have some time to watch a little bit more of the kid from Washington State, Abraham Lucas. He's six foot seven, three nineteen. Has similar to Cross, has like that massive sample size of pass blocking. But he wasn't ultimately that good in some of the clips I've seen from him pass blocking. And the grades aren't great either. There, if you want to take that with more than a grain of salt, the PFF grades. I don't know. I'm a little scared of these Washington State tackles, too, after Dillard. <laughs> Just be honest and say that. Was Dillard Washington State or was he Washington? I believe he was Washington State, right? No, he was Washington State, but that's the same offense that Cross same is offense, in now. Right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that's the same offense Cross is in that didn't translate, too. So like, it's like a little bit of why I'm scared with Cross, too. These guys can mirror, and their feet are really good. But they're going to be asked to do so many different things that they're not used to coming from that system going into any NFL system. So I don't know. Um, and then again, some of these guys I like at tackle in that mid round range, I want them to be guards. So I'll get to Zach Tom and see if there's anything there that we really like there. He's thinking six foot five, two ninety five, and also kind of had that ability to mirror in pass production. We'll get to Tom, and that might be the guy to even say right now. And obviously, if Raymond's there at thirty six, I'll be interested. I don't think he'll fall. Ryman, I think it is actually the right way to pronounce that. Um, but yeah, for me, it's not. I, I don't have many guys I really like at tackle, and I think that's going to be true of almost. Every class we work on, Nick, from this point on. I would agree with everything Dan just said. If I had to pick some tackles that I feel like could be mid-rounds, so you're talking about like fourth, fifth round. I haven't watched his tape, but I saw him at the Senior Bowl, and that was North Dakota's Matt Wolotsko. I felt like he had some really solid reps and was disciplined with his hips. He's a little bit stiff in the hips, but he was disciplined with his hips, and I'm just going off of Senior Bowl tape. So that's, again, North Dakota's Matt uh, Wolotsko. I think Zach Tom, as you mentioned, who might be an interior guy, is very, very interesting. Andrew Stuber out of Michigan, very, very interesting. He played 
played right tackle, more than likely going to be a guard. He's also had a pretty good senior bowl week. And then Darian Kennard from Kentucky, that's more than likely a guard, 346-pound guy who played right tackle for Kentucky. I actually kind of like Luke Fortner better than him, but he's definitely someone that would be a Dave Gettleman type of guy, a mauler, a hog molly, if you will. But I, again, don't think he's going to be a tackle at the next level. And we brought up Tyler Smith before he played tackle, but again, I think he's best suited as a guard. Yeah, I mean, you said it best. There are a lot of intriguing guys that I like as offensive linemen in that day two range. But ultimately, I want them to play guard for the Giants, not tackle. And so as far as just specific tackles, the one sleeper I'm going to put your put in, put on to, and I've talked to some of my Penn State guys who don't love him, but I just kind of think there's some upside there potentially. It's Rashid Walker out of Penn State, six foot six, three twenty. He looks the part. He's super athletic. When I've watched him in space, I've been like, damn, this kid can move for his size for six foot six, three. I think he's actually three fifteen. But the production wasn't always there at Penn State. Obviously, the grades weren't there if you go by that pro football focus. He wasn't great as a tackle there, and he didn't live up to the hype. But if I'm taking those day three, and this would probably be for me more of day three, like top around four. If I'm taking a swing at offensive tackle. I want to just be on a tools-based guy who I think has the potential to, to be something with the right coaching. So that would be the one name I'm keeping an eye on on day three for the Giants, Rashid Walker. Jamari Sawyer is another one. He played some tackle for Georgia, but he's more than likely a guard as well. I, I did his tape and I came away. I think he could be a, a good contributor, like a solid offensive lineman to start who can develop into something a little bit more. So Jamari Sawyer from Georgia, somebody to also monitor around that range. He could be a, a round three pick though. So maybe a little bit before day three. Yeah. And another guy who I like too, but again, more of, more of interior, we see him more as an interior option. For the Giants, and that's, you know, again, going away from tackle. He was also weird because he was better earlier in his career. He has, like, that same Derek Stingley type thing where he was – his worst season was his last one in 2021, where for some reason he took a big drop-off from back-to-back -back really good seasons, 2020 and 2019. So just something to keep an eye on there. All righty, let's go on to the next question here, and that would be from Seize the Moment. Who would you need to fall to the bottom of, of the first round for you to be willing to move up from 36 back in the first round, a la like the Giants did for DeAndre Baker a couple years ago? Okay, so in order to do this, we have to lay out what the Giants did with the first two picks. Sure. So let's say they went right tackle, okay? And then let's say they went with Sauce. So now we're mainly looking at an edge falling and us just being like, we need to get that guy. I don't think Kayvon or Jermaine Johnson or Trayvon Walker would fall that far. And I don't know if I would want to trade up to get a Boye Mafe or an Arnold Ebiketti. I think I'd feel better just kind of sitting at 36. So that kind of rules the edge out. Would you do this though, Dan, just to get specific with this, if Kyle Hamilton fell to like 26, just for whatever reason, would you trade up in that kind of scenario? Or are you still comfortable enough resting on your laurels and being like, I'll take Lewis Seen or Jaquan Brisker at 36? I think there would be, it would be, I don't think Hamilton has any chance to fall, but the answer would be yes. So I, I mean, like I'd almost rather do this with a different, I guess a different position. Like let's say a Stingley, if there are concerns there. Right. But and even then, soft, yeah. yeah, even then I feel like, I feel like if they didn't go sauce, even then I don't feel like he'll really fall. I'm kind of with you. I don't, I wouldn't do it for any other safeties. First of all, that's for sure. Edge is the interesting one because let's say they go sauce in an offensive tackle, right? Edge, there might be a guy that they love, and I can't, I don't know if I can kill them if for their system they feel like he's much so much better of a fit. 
than those other edges who we really like. Like, because there's a lot of edges that me and Nick like that could be available within that range. But at the same time, for their system, they might see someone they think is so much better. Like, for example, like if the Giants feel like they can just look at 2022 as a total rebuilding year, Nick, what if they just love it? And there's some really freakish tape of him. What if they just love the get off and the end and the edge bend and the upside of Ojibo in their defense? And they're just like, we know he's injured, but we can take him here at the end of round one, get a fifth year rookie an extra fifth year, an extra op team option, that fifth year rookie option. And it doesn't really matter what he gives us in 2022. We feel like he's so much better than the other edge prospects available to us at 36. What about that scenario? See, the thing about Ojabo that that gives me a little bit of reservation is because he was one-dimensional before the injury, and now you throw an Achilles injury into it because he, he was never a great run defender, and that was kind of his thing. And he always had to face – he always faced one-on-ones because Aiden Hutchinson was playing opposite of him. He's a one-year wonder. I, I just – I don't think it's – safe to do that to trade up now if he falls at 36 i think you can entertain it but i still think i'll like other guys better because yeah modern medicine has allowed these athletes to recover at a more quicker rate from these achilles injuries and these acls and even you know more serious injuries but i still just i look at the other value that would be on the board and i think i would rather take them for the current state the giants are in but you're right they're not going to be competitive this year it's kind of be a redshirt year for Jabba, you get that extra year on the contract if you want to pursue that in the fifth year. So I think it, it's a conversation, but I, I don't think I'd be interested. Yeah, and that's just, you can take his name out of it. It's really like anyone. You could say George Kaloftis, what if the Giants loved him and he was slipping. I just, my point was, I think there's going to be a better chance of that happening at the edge position than there is at other positions. Now, the one being is, I really like Bernard Ryman, and I feel like if Ryman was starting to fall and the Giants didn't get one of the tackles, if they went, uh, Thibodeau and sauce, then I might be interested in trading up for Ryman because I, again, I feel like once you get past him at tackle, it starts to really drop off for me. I think you have to at that point, because you have to get a right tackle, somebody who can start for you. And if you do double up on defense or don't go a right tackle with five or seven, you should definitely look to trade 36 and one of those thirds and maybe even a later round pick to jump up several spots to secure a right tackle who will be competent. Yeah, for sure. And again, the value of this is what the Giants were hoping to get when they traded up in 2019 for Baker. It's that fifth year team rookie option, which is not insanely cheap, but cost controlled. And it can really help you if you're in a position. So a few other guys I would consider doing that for me, Nick, would be uh, Jamison Williams, if he fell. And the Giants really love Williams. They thought his speed and his elusiveness can give them some different kind of level to their offense, different dimension to their offense. Um, Traylon Burks, who I freaking love the evaluation of. That's another player I would consider it of. Tyler Linderbaum. I would consider it with Linderbaum. I don't love Linderbaum personally because his size. And I've seen just too many examples on film of him being overwhelmed by collegiate level defenders. Like that's not a good sign when you're getting beat by, when you're getting overpowered by collegiate level defenders, it's just a really bad sign for transition next level. But I feel like if you get him at the end of round one, there's a value. There's some value there. I think so too. Uh, Tyler Lindebaum sold on it. No, no, I think he's going to be a good player, though, man. Like I do think he's going to be a good player. Are we overrating his weight? Maybe a little bit, but at the same time, there were some. There was some tape where it seemed like he struggled with with just strength at the point of attack. But the kid's technique is just impeccable. If he did fall, I would understand it. I, I got to get into a little bit more of his tape to feel completely comfortable with the. Uh, 
with his evaluation, but from what I've seen, it's it's easy to see the upside from a player like that. And that's fair. And he may be on that list too. Like it might be, he might be a player like Ryman if they don't go tackle early with one of the five or seven that I'm like, yeah, I'd be okay trading up for it. I do, in general, I'm not a big fan of the process and the idea of having your guys and believing you can out scout the draft. But there are some examples of where one guy at one position is just so much higher rated on your draft board than the next guy at that position based on your scheme and how he fits your system and how he fits what you want to do schematically and conceptually as either an offense or defense. And if that's the case, then it presents value in the idea of trading up because you're not necessarily in my mind, then you're not as much so looking to out scout quote unquote, the rest of the team, the rest of the draft saying, Oh my God, this guy should be a top 15 player. You're more so just looking at it. Like for what we want to do, there really isn't anyone who compares to this guy. Let's go get him. Yes. Yeah. Let's go get our guy and then we can kind of go from there. And obviously the cost of doing so would be probably a third round pick you would imagine. Right. And then maybe something else, maybe a five. It depends on how far we're talking about jumping up. Yep. All right. All things giants asks, we all know it's draft season with that said, who already on the roster, you can go offense or defense could potentially be unlocked by this new coaching staff. So I think some of the players, well, first off, let me lay this out. So Don Wink Martindale was the defensive coordinator of the Ravens since 2018. Since then, he's never had a double-digit sack guy. So Darius Smith had eight and a half sacks in 2018. Matt Judon had nine and a half sacks, so very close, in 2019. But other than that, they, they never got into the eight or nine range because it's a collective approach. It's not a one-size-fits-all one kind, of, kind of, we have this premier pass rusher, and he's just always going to do this and thrive because we know his scheme is much more team oriented. So it might not play out in the sack numbers, but I definitely think Aziz Ojolari is somebody who falls into this because I think he is fluid enough to drop into space. I think when he does rush, when he does twist, when he does, you know, get up the pass rushing arc, he can use that really good pass rushing move that he has and he possesses to win. And I think you're going to have a lot of two versus one kind of, schemed up pressures that are going to feature someone with the burst and explosiveness of disease Ojolari. So I think he falls into that. I think Aaron Robinson certainly falls into that Xavier McKinney. And then on the offensive side, Kadarius Tony, I think Brian Dable can do and Mike Kafka can do a lot of good things with Kadarius Tony. So uh, those are kind of all the young players that the giants have, but it does make sense that those would be the guys who can be unlocked. They have the talent, they have the traits and the coaching staff is smart enough and knows how to unlock players in the past it's just it might not play out in the sack production with Aziz because like we said Baltimore's defense with Wink Martindale wasn't necessarily someone who was going to have 12 sacks in a season yeah exactly I think Nick did a great job there outlining the players who will best fit what they want to do I think we'll see a better chance of unlocking potential on the defensive side of the ball than the offensive side of the ball if I'm going to be completely honest because I think the coaching staff on the offense side of the ball is more hamstrung by the personnel, both at quarterback and the offensive line. than you could say about Wink Martindale on his defense, like there's really not much he can be hamstrung by besides the cornerback position, because I think he can generate pressure from the edges already on the roster, plus what they're going to add, plus just from him scheming pressure, not just from the edges, but from those off-ball linebackers and safeties. So yeah, for me, I'm looking at mostly focused and you know, concentrated breakouts based on scheme on the defense side of the ball with Wink Martindale's system. Yeah, I think that's safe to say. 
All right, Dan, any guesses at who could be a Cleveland Farrell type pick that no one sees coming in the first four picks before the Giants? This was asked by Gregory. I'm going to say Chiola, but I'm pretty sure it's probably not pronounced that way here in America. It's probably Chaola. Let's go with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's obviously not Chaola, but I think that's Chat. No, Chow would probably be IA. Eh, whatever. Point is, Trayvon Walker's the flashy or the buzzy type guy that might go in the top four that people are expecting, but that's expected because people are seeing it coming. Cleland Farrell was not seen at all seen coming. So it has to be someone who hasn't been talked about. There aren't many options in this class, Nick, especially because Kyle Hamilton himself has even been talked about. I'm going to go with either Garrett Wilson or, or Drake London. I'm going with either Garrett Wilson or Drake London as the potential players who could be drafted inside the top four that people would be stunned to see. Yeah, I think that's, and I think it would be at the Jets more than likely. I don't think the Houston Texans are going that direction. Probably not the Detroit Lions either. And then I think other players that fall into this, Devin Lloyd and Nicobe Dean, I don't think it's going to happen, but it's one of those things where it's like if somebody really wants one of those versatile linebackers that can do a lot of different things, both of them fall into that. I think it's a very, very deep linebacker class. I think that would be a big mistake, but it's something that could possibly happen if we're being bold. And I'll also throw in the mix any of Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, or Matt Corral. Yes. Yeah. One of those quarterbacks will, I mean, Carolina's kind of desperate. They could easily go that direction. But yeah. Even just as a surprise, that I wouldn't be, if it's going to be a surprise, I wouldn't be surprised if, it's, if quarterback fits that billing, is, is what I should say. Yeah. All right. Dan, Game Day asks, what would be your reaction if the Giants went with Sam Howell in the second round? It's an interesting one because I actually weirdly do kind of like Howell as a prospect. I've seen him play a lot. I think he kind of has some Baker Mayfield to him, but with some traits that are actually better, though not as much arm talent. Similarly, underrated arm talent based on his size. Better athleticism than Baker Mayfield by a long margin. But in a lot of ways, just didn't get it done. And ultimately, I don't really have a high ceiling for him. He fits more of what I would consider that Daniel Jones range of prospect coming in. And so I'm kind of moving away from ever wanting to draft those prospects. There was a great study that someone just put out on Twitter yesterday that I tweeted and I can't find at this moment that showed, and I think I t- uh, alluded to this last podcast, the bust rate for second round quarterbacks. This is a bad range to draft quarterbacks, a really, really bad range. There are occasional outliers to find a Drew Brees every once in a while. That's the best case. Very rare, very few and far between the next best case is like Derek Carr. And then you're just looking at total busts for the rest of them. And it's an overwhelming majority in the 85 to 90% range. So with all the talent at other positions, it's going to be there at 36 overall. I just think I'd hate the decision to take Howell in the second. But the good news is, regardless if I like it or hate it, Nick, and game day, it don't matter. The Giants could just be right on their eval, and maybe they can unlock Sam Howell at the next level, and they find their franchise quarterback, in which case it's the greatest pick of all time because the Giants didn't have to use a first-round pick to get a franchise quarterback. All they had to use was 36 overall, like the Saints did when they got Breeze or whatever that pick was. It was in, in that range, 36 overall. And it was not the Saints. It was the, it was the Chargers. So yeah. that was just a bad take all, overall. But look, my memory isn't great these days. But So yeah, it's one of those picks that I'll hate at the time. To answer your question, game day, but the good news is I can be proven wrong and I'd be happy to. Exactly. It's one of those picks, like you said. It I would hope to be proven wrong. I definitely wouldn't like it at the time, but they better be right on their eval because that's a, a premier pick right there. And you're also right about the second round picks. Carr, uh, Kaepernick, uh, Andy Dalton, like guys like that, but like those guys, they they had fleeting, they were they were successful initially and then it kind of fleeted. So 
I don't know. I would like to, what was the hit rate? Did, did that study have it? Because I don't have the study in front of me, but I'm just going through second round quarterbacks in my head. And I'm like, there are a couple guys who, who had limited success in the NFL and got pretty far into the playoffs. Yeah. I don't have the number in front of me, but it was most, it was just bus, 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 Derek Carr, bus, 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 <laughs> like Drew Brees and just total busts. I mean, like, not okay. even guys that were even like capable. Okay, Sal asks, how about waiting until day three to get a guy who can play offensive tackle and interior offensive line, like a Zach Tom or Andrew Stober? So we discussed this a little bit. Zach Tom's from Wake Forest. Stober is from Michigan. Look, I think those are good guys to add to your team, but I don't want to bank on that for the right tackle position. I think that right tackle position has to be a sure thing. We've seen the Giants have a solid free agency, bringing in a lot of veterans to play offensive guard for one year, in Glowinski's case, multiple years, which is all well and good. But you want to bring these guys in to replace those guys. You don't want to rely on these guys who are not sure things at tackle whatsoever, both play tackle in college. Maybe they fit better on the interior. So I would like to invest in one of these guys. I like both of them as prospects. If you watch Stuber's game against Iowa, you're like, oh, wow, that's really good. And then you see him against Georgia, and it's not as potent or as noticeable. It doesn't really jump out on tape. He's not moving guys as much as he was against Iowa. So I wouldn't mind investing, but definitely I would like to get Neil or Icky at the, uh, in the top 10, not having to rely on these guys uh, to, to fill that huge void the Giants currently have at right tackle. Yeah, exactly. As Nick said, he did a great job there. All right, NY Giants Talk 23 says, have you guys had a chance to watch Kair Elam so far, the cornerback out of Florida? To me, he's in my top 20 players overall, and I would run to the podium at 36 if, he, if he's there. What says you? I think if the Giants do not go Sauce Gardner and he's there at 36, he is somebody to consider. I haven't done an eval on him. I've watched tape on him. I think he is a very good press cornerback, get up on the line of scrimmage, can play man coverage. He's not overly fluid. He definitely doesn't have the fluidity of a Sauce or a Derek Stingley Jr. out of LSU, but you put him up near the line of scrimmage, you allow him to jam, you allowed him to jam and bail. I feel like his technique up in those areas are pretty solid. I also think he can play zone because his click and close downhill was pretty solid. But one thing that I didn't like about him, and it pops up very, very evidently on the film, is, is tackling. I just don't get it because he's physical. He's big. He's long. And I don't think he's just shy to tackle. But for whatever reason, his technique going into contact is horrendous. And he misses way too many tackles, which is not great for his own cornerback. It's not really great for any kind of cornerback. So that's something that must be cleaned up. But I do like the idea of Elam around pick 36 if the Giants do not go with Sauce Gardner. Yeah, I like the idea of it. You got to get your corner somewhere. There's some really good tape of him. There's some really good traits. I think from what I've seen, I haven't seen much. From what I'm seeing, he does project or slightly worry me as one of those corners who at the next level could be get to could get handsy and could start to get flagged early and often in his career and could have issues with holding in, in, in the early parts of his career. But the traits are there. Like you're looking for these potential shutdown island guys you can put on the boundary. And I think he is one of those few in the class. There's really not never that many in any given class. Part of why we're interested in someone like Sauce Gardner so early. But yeah, I'm definitely intrigued by him. I wouldn't say he's a run to the podium pick for me, especially with all the other guys I like in that 36 range, but someone that's on our radar for sure. Yeah, and if you watch his Alabama tape from 2021, you see him riding Jamison Williams off the red line. You see him kind of closing down on John Mechie on this little quick curl route, played physical through the catch point, knocks the ball loose. But then you also see, you know, like you said, the DPI came up. I think he had a bad DPI against Jamison Williams in that game. And like the 
said earlier, the tackling is something that concerns me a little bit, but it's definitely a player that I feel like isn't getting a lot of buzz who can step into the NFL and be solid. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, David Pascal asks, your, what are your thoughts on free agency so far with Brian Dable and Joe Shane? We are no longer a laughing stop, so to me it seems like progress. We were arguably the worst team in the NFL last season. How does this team roster not at least make some strides in the win column in 2022? David, Dan, I personally think they did a good job given all of the circumstances, the negative circumstances that surrounded the team. They did not have a lot of money. They were able to invest a lot of minimum contracts on veterans that didn't count that much against the cap. And these guys could be competent and much better offensive line than what they had last year. I think so far, I'm very encouraged by what the Joe Shane, Brian Dable regime has done so far. Now the draft is going to tell a lot more than just free agency, but I like everything that they've done. Yeah, I would agree with Nick. Again, this is probably 10% for me. If we're going to do out of a hundred of what I care about with this new regime, the draft is 90, 90% literally. So that means that much to the long-term health of this franchise. And this is the biggest draft they've had since 2019 when Gettleman was saddled with the two first round picks and then traded up ultimately for a third. Um, And so, that's where the real story is told, but so far, so good. You're right, David. They did what they had to do in free agency. They've done taken steps to improve the offensive line despite the situation they put themselves in, which was they don't have any offense. They don't have any resources to really spend on the offensive line. I like the scoop up of Bowinski. I like bringing Feliciano in for competition and even some of the lower tier guys they brought in free agency to just compete and be there and provide competition. So, yeah, as far as how do they not make some strides or will they definitely make strides? You know, there are reasons to believe that they will. There are also reasons to believe they won't. The reasons to believe they won't would be, one, it takes some time for rookie offensive linemen to transition. Two, yes, there's new systems in place. That is not always a good thing. The Giants have been playing with the same defensive system last year. Now they have to learn a brand new system. There may be some communication issues early on in the secondary. There may be some coverage lapses and breakdowns that lead to big touchdowns for opposing offenses that simply weren't there almost ever with the Patrick Graham system. And so there are some potential drawbacks there. So I don't necessarily think it's a guarantee they're going to take a stride, but I wouldn't be surprised by it. Yeah, I don't know how big of a stride they will take, but I think the their ship is in the That's right direction. Way to say it. Yeah. Kevin Donahue asks, is Jahan Dotson to OBJ a crazy comp? Unique body control, faster on the field than testing numbers would indicate. Catch radius elite in spite of stature. I feel like he can be special in the right context. Would love to hear your thoughts on this comp and fit with the New York Giants. So Dotson's the next guy I'm getting to for CBS draft profiles. And then me and Nick are going to do a little profile on him. I've only watched a little bit of him so far, so I don't want to speak to totally to my, I, or I don't want to lock in my opinion. I should say I'll let Nick, if he has a definitive opinion, but I think at least from what I've seen so far, I can get a good grasp and offer and provide a good answer based on the things that I am going to say here. So my things that I'm going to say here are traits based. And from a traits based standpoint, while I can see the comp, I don't ultimately feel it's really anywhere close because OBJ had two things that I don't think Dotson has. OBJ had, in my mind, maybe the greatest contested catch ability when you factor in these few factors that I'm about to go over. One, ability to high point leaping ability. Two, body control in the air. And then three, which is always the most underrated with these receivers, but grip strength. 
Odell's grip strength is insane. It's why he never dropped those crazy t- to, to make catches, and he made the most difficult catches look amazing. That plus the post-catch burst, the early prime Odell post-catch burst. Like, think about that fourth and seven against the Ravens or fourth and four to win that Ravens game. Uh, I think it was 20, maybe 2016 even, or 2017 it was, where he takes the slant and then houses and beats Weddle on an angle that he should have never beat Weddle on. And some of the insane angles he eliminated with post-catch acceleration, I don't think Dotson compares to OBJ from those two standpoints. Um, And so... While he is a great prospect and someone who me and Nick are probably going to settle in on loving, I wouldn't compare him to OBJ. Yeah, I love Jahan Dotson a lot, but he's definitely not OBJ in terms of comp. And I don't mean to disparage it, Kevin Donahue. It's just like for me with OBJ and, and Dan, basically everything Dan says, I, I agreed with. He was just more explosive and he just had a different kind of gear to him. And I, I love Jahan Dotson in space. And OBJ was also a little bit bigger, a little bit longer, a little bit more explosive, a little bit more agile, even though I do love Dotson's. GM New York Giants asks, Joe Shane wasn't at Malik Willis's pro day, but everyone's forgetting he went to multiple Liberty games while with the Bills. If he loves him, isn't the move to smokescreen that he doesn't and take him at five, trade DJ and hope one of Neil Icky or Cross is there at seven? That's a good question. What do you think, Dan? 100%. Yeah. If the Giants are actually interested in drafting Malik Willis, everything they've said to this point about what they're planning to do with the picks, about their belief in Daniel Jones, about how Daniel Jones is the quarterback, about how they failed Daniel Jones and now they have to make it right, is all just a smokescreen and the correct smokescreen to play. In a class like this, when you know the team picking right after you that could trade one spot ahead of you from six to four, may want a quarterback, may love Malik Willis, and they're not the only team that may love Malik Willis. And so if they are interested in drafting Malik Willis, I think they would have played it just like this. So, yeah, I think you're correct in that. That would be the way, man, and that would shock a whole lot of people and uh, would be wild on Twitter to see what happens. <laughs> yeah, that would be insane to watch the the meltdown. But Facto Fear asks, what are your thoughts on Nebraska corner Cam Taylor Britt or – Tennessee's Alante Taylor as mid-round press corner options to specifically fit Wink Martindale's defensive system. So I haven't seen Alante Taylor, so I can't weigh into him, but I do love the thought of Cam Taylor Britt. Cam Taylor Britt, he's very, very physical, thickly built. I've likened him to Brandon Stevens out of SMU last year. And Brandon Stevens was selected, I think, in the fourth round, maybe the third round, by the Ravens last year. And he was a cornerback at SMU. And they used him as a safety. Wink Martindale kind of uh, made him a safety. And then he was really good in the alley and kind of coming downhill and just being a versatile safety who would blitz. I think Cam Taylor Britt can really do that. But I also thought that back when I watched Cam Taylor Britt's film. And then once Wink Martindale was hired, I kind of made that assumption thinking Cam Taylor Britt wouldn't run as fast as he did. And I don't have his times in front of me, but he ran pretty fast at the combine and showed a little bit more speed because he played a lot of off coverage at Nebraska. Now, sometimes he would press, he would press and bail and he looks fluid enough doing that. But I, I do love the idea of adding someone like a Cam Taylor Britt to this team. And then if he could play corner, that's fantastic. If not, I think he can also fit, be a safety, not be a liability and run support whatsoever because he's a very, very, I feel like versatile type of player if he can prove to play safety. Yeah, I haven't seen too much of either of them, but I do like the length that they have. I like that Taylor from Tennessee had really good coverage grades from pro football focus. Again, I don't, I take them with a grain of salt, but when you're matching them against the SEC, I think that's a good sign when you have that lengthy profile, like you, like you mentioned in the tweet, he can translate potentially to what we want to do on defense. It's a little older as a prospect, 23.3 that I don't love cam Tiller Britt also a little older, 22.4. Um, so 
you know, and that's just the, the point is like how close they are to the next age bracket. But other than that, I think those are definitely some intriguing options for the Giants. Absolutely. It could be the second option after they draft sauce, kind of like what we were talking about. Was that on last podcast? But anyways, Correct. Matthew Cross asks, based on Shane's draft history philosophy with Buffalo, do you see any guys who are projected in the mid to late first that could possibly be much higher on their boards? Ooh, that's a good question. Guys projected in the mid to late first right now who the Giants just love based on you know their, what they're looking for. Um, let's see. I think you could see that potentially with a Penning or a Ryman. I think you'd see it with them. I think you could see that potentially with hmm, one of these edges. Now, who? I'm not so sure. I'm not exactly sure what they're looking for there versus like if they're looking for some of the same type of guys, Shane and um, Shane and being found in Buffalo, or if they're looking for a totally different guy based on what uh, versus on what Wink Martindale is looking for in an edge. So I guess for me, I'd probably say it might be one of those tackles or um, or one of those edges. For me, this one name sticks out, and it's not just okay. because he had ridiculously long arms. And I don't think it's maybe a high first round pick, but maybe in the second. And that's Perry and Winfrey. And that's not because he was the, the Reese's Senior Bowl MVP, but it's because in Oklahoma, they used him basically as a nose most of the time. They moved him around a little bit, but he was the nose tackle who was basically just slanting and penetrating. And maybe he wasn't fully maximized in that system, but he does have the get off and he does have the ability to win the half man. And he is very long and he is heavy handed. I feel like he plays a little bit high at times, but I think his physical nature and what I feel like could be a versatile nature to be used from a five technique all the way across the line of scrimmage. I think it would appeal to the giants, but that would be around 36. I don't think he's, I don't think he'd be a first round pick, but he's a name that I kind of come to and be like, I could see them liking him. Yeah, it's interesting. I haven't done much work on him, so I'll have to take a look at him. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, again, like I don't know if they would actually go in that direction, but it's a name that just kind of stuck out to me because we know Joe Shane and Brendan Bean, what they did at Buffalo in terms of just rebuilding that offensive line with unique body types. They right. weren't all very, very long players. They weren't all Gregory Rousseau, but uh, they, they love the trenches, and I think he's somebody that would appeal to them. But, damn, Jorge Contreras asks, if Hamilton is there at seven, are you taking him? Uh, no, I am not. What about you, Nick? Uh, it depends. Uh, I, like I said earlier, I, I don't think I would stomp my feet and be upset, but I think I'd rather go in another direction that can um, help the franchise a little bit more. But I think he is a transcendent type of player who is going to be very, very good in the NFL. Yeah. And I really like him too. So I don't know why I'm so out on it. I just think there's too many other good options at edge corner and an offensive tackle, I guess is where I'm at. Yeah. I feel that D good man, true blue asked, what do you think about going wide receiver in round two? Maybe George Pickens out of Georgia if he's there at 36. I'm totally fine with the idea of going wide receiver at round at 36 overall. I Again, we're going to you know do our due diligence in considering players like Trey McBride at 36 who don't really offer too much as a blocker right now. I'd much rather take an actual explosive athlete at receiver who could change the way this offense is, is operating. Um, now, Pickens wouldn't be my guy there, though I do like his deep tracking, deep ball tracking ability. I think there's some upside there. For me, it would have to be one of the guys I feel is a first round talent that fell to 36, like a Traylon Burks if he falls. Or if you want to just say, screw it, let's get speed and acceleration on the field, someone like Christian Watson. So I'm open to it, but I don't think Pickens would be my target. 
I'm starting to come around on this guy and starting to get to his film, and I'm really like what I'm seeing, and that's Sky Moore. I think that's somebody else who can kind of fall into that pick 36 range, maybe a little bit after that. He's not overly big, but he's a sure-handed, very good route runner. Played at Western Michigan, so not a huge competition level there, but he's a name that I always kind of come around to. And I also like John Mechie, but I think at 36, it's a little bit rich, but I just feel like no one's talking about Mechie. Yeah, I don't know why no one's talking about Mechie. I feel like Mechie is so much better than he's being projected as. Exactly. Like I like Christian Watson. I'm excited about this conversation and I won't go too in depth, but there are a lot of other receivers. I think I'd prefer that, that uh, over Christian Watson. We talked about him with Laurie Fitzpatrick a few podcasts ago. And I feel like we came off like we love Christian Watson, but I like Christian Watson. I think when I don't love that, Christian Watson by any means. Yeah. I like him, but I liked him where he was valued. Like maybe right after the senior bowl when people were like, yeah, this is probably a day two pick. It's like, okay, right. yeah, that's like fine. Now he's being talked about in the first round. I'm like that's, that's insane. There's so many, there's so many more receivers I'd rather have. So it's a good conversation to have, and I don't want to ruin it all. If we're going to do it, I- I'm going to save it. Cause I have a different, not, not a different mindset on it, but I know the idea of why you're, when you draft someone like Watson, I'll explain why I think, Teams will draft him higher than than you may think he's worth, or than we may think he's worth. Yeah, we'll, we'll wait on Watson though. Let's just let's just pause on that. Um, let's move on though, and let's do uh, receive discussions. I when and how did you guys meet? You guys have great chemistry, like you guys grew up together. Oh well, thank you. I don't know who we received this question twice. It says, but I don't. Do you know who sent this? Uh, yes, I can find it while you explain the story on how we met. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, great question. Um. It's interesting because me and Nick haven't been friends for a very long time. And we met just before, just during the 2019, the summer of 2019, it was August. I was on vacation. I was on a two week long vacation with my, with my other friends um, doing uh, Banff national park and glacier national park in Montana. And I get a message from my former co-host, Nick Turchin. Hey man, unfortunately I'm not going to be able to do the podcast anymore. And this was a total surprise. Like, we had prior had already set up like two episodes for when I got back from the trip that we were going to do about the giants during that stage of the off season. It was prior to the preseason and it was uh, prior to training camp. It was that, it was that lull between mini camp and training camp. The one time in my schedule, that's free. So I took a vacation and then I hear that news and I'm like, Holy crap. So I had like a few days to stew on it. Like one, do I want to do a solo pod? And in my head, I decided, no, I don't think I'm not a big believer in solo pods. I listen to some, some people can do it well. Adam Leviton does a great job with the DFS solo pod. The DFS to me is very, it's a different, it's a different topic and it lends itself more to a solo pod. I've always felt the dual pods are much better. And so with Turchin out of the mix and me deciding I don't want to do a solo pod, I was deciding if I want to continue the podcast. By that point, the podcast had done really well for us, me and Nick Turchin, and we had an average of like 1,500 downloads per episode at that point, which is kind of where it started when we first debuted and where it hung at. Um, and it has grown way more since Nick Filato came on board. Thanks, thank, thanks to Nick. And so, and that's no slight on Turchin, who did a great job as well. We've just, as a whole, grown the podcast more. But at that point, I was like, this might fold. Like, this might be it. Like, I had a great, not a great idea, but look, it was always my dream to do a Giants podcast. I never thought it was possible. I built this following on Twitter, and then I was able to build a podcast right from it. And and it felt good, and it felt great, me and Nick Turchin. But I was like, is this it? Is this the end of the run? And so. I got back from the vacation. I had some more time to think on it and I cleared my head and I was like, no, I don't want this to be how this goes out. I don't want the big blue banter podcast to die like this. So I started reaching out to people who I knew could offer something similar to what Turchin offers, because this podcast is nothing without at least one amazing film analyst like Filato is now. And like Turchin was before him on this pod. 
as I've said in the past, I'm still learning when it comes to this. I learn a lot from Nick every episode, and I learn a lot from the people I talk to, the guests we have on, and the breakdowns I see. But I am still have a long way to go as far as breaking down film and that standpoint of analysis. So I said the only way I'm going to continue this is if I find someone like this, sent out a bunch of feelers to a bunch of different people. No real, no real dice. And then I sent one out to Mark Schofield, who's been on the show a bunch. And we had Schofield, either we had Schofield on with, with Turchin, or I just knew Mark somehow. I don't really know how I knew Mark. I guess one time we interacted with each other on Twitter over some of his film breakdowns on the Giants, probably. And I was like, Mark, look, I've seen you do some Giants stuff, some Brian's breakdowns on Big Blue Banter. Or I'm sorry, on Big Blue View. Would you want to be a co-host of the Big Blue Banter podcast? Here's what, here's what we're all about. Here's you know what we do, et cetera, et cetera. He said, uh, no, man, I don't have the time for it, but I actually have someone in mind who might be a great fit. And that was our boy, Nick Filato. So I still remember he gave me Nick Filato's contact information. I started to look up Filato with the time was mostly doing stuff, not even Giants related at the time, just like for inside the pylon and just like film draft film type breakdowns. Um, and then some NFL stuff I found, too. And I said, you know what? Let me give him a call. And I remember being outside my old apartment talking to Nick on the phone. And I always knew in my head that the ideal candidate to fill this role would be a diehard Giants fan. Prior, it, in, the, in the old podcast, when it was me, me and Nick Turchin, it was really just me as the diehard fan. Nick Turchin was not, self-admitted, not a big Giants fan. In my mind, what makes this podcast great is not just like the analysis on film, the 30,000-foot view of roster building, all that type of stuff, and just being up, you know, how we view, you know, up to date with the news, et cetera, et cetera. It's also having that fan base. It's also having that foundation of being a Giants fan that I have and that Filato has. And so once I got on the phone with Nick, that was basically it. I knew immediately he was going to be a perfect fit for the podcast. I was like, do you want to do this? I, I asked him right away. He was down. And so I just knew this was it. Like we were going to be able to take this podcast to the next level with Nick. And everything that's happened since has been exactly as I had envisioned and hoped it would be. And as far as like, why is our chemistry so good? I don't really know. Um, why? Because it's kind of just, we met randomly. Yeah, we did meet randomly. And that's an awesome story, man. I remember talking to you in my apartment as well, right there in the dining room. And ever since then too, Dan and I have hung out plenty of times and we have a lot of fun memories, a lot of competitive memories. So it's, uh, it's been a good friendship that was formed because of Mark Schofield, really. Yeah, exactly. It's the, it's the interesting thing is me and Nick have been able to, and that's going to say this wasn't with Turch and me and Turch and uh, met a couple times, not really often though, but me and Nick have developed the podcast relationship into an actual friendship. We've hung out, we've played a ton of competitive, and I mean competitive games against each other. As far as video games goes, Settlers of Catan, which Nick takes very seriously. To be quite honest, me and Nick just take every single game we play insanely seriously to the point where there's even been times where people have said to both Nick and I in the past, that you're quote unquote making this not fun for me because you're taking this too seriously. And that's been a problem for me my entire life. I blame Ron Schneier because of the competitive nature that he put the, 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 the mindset we had in my household with me and my brother competing to the point where often it led to my brother crying and running inside the house based on something that happened within the game. But look, we've had some fun competitive times and we've hung out and watched, you know, Went, went to movies, top golf, TV shows, dinners, stuff like that. Nick's just a great dude. And I consider him one of my best friends as well now. Yeah, it's it's been a blast, man. I, oh man, I want to cry. No, <laughs> no, it's it's been a lot of fun. It helps. Now, I think it does help. Like spending that much time hanging out as well, I think builds our chemistry. Like me and Nick sometimes talk about it. Some of our best ideas for the podcast that we don't even often do a great job of following up on, and we've tried to do better by putting them in the notes, or when we're sitting there uh, hanging out like late night on the couch with a few beers, maybe maybe a. Uh, maybe a little other supplement that's not beer, non-alcohol supplement. <laughs> and we have some quote-unquote 
unbelievable high ideas about the New York Giants and what we want to do on the podcast. And sometimes we followed up on that and put it in podcast form. But I think we have some like lost recordings on either my or Nick's iPhone of us just like free balling, freestyling about the Giants while while intoxicated. Ah, yeah. Great times, though. And, and that, that question, man, came from Mr. Period Coach Period K. And he All also right. asked another question. What are your thoughts on the U? SFL using chips in the football to determine first downs and such. Dan, I'll just say, I love the idea. Let the USFL try it out. And you know, if it ends up working, the NFL is going to adopt it. So I, I love the fact that they're taking the, uh, taking that risk right there. I almost feel like Mr. Coach K based on the two questions he asked knows me personally. If not, you just somehow have an incredible line into my thinking and who I am as a person, Mr. Coach K, because ask my brother, Matt Schneier, you can count thousands of times where I've been angry at the spot of the ball by the referees. <laughs> I believe that referees have stolen hundreds of yards from the Giants in poor spotting based on where they feel that knee went down versus where the ball was at the time when that knee went down. I think often they anticipate where they think the knee went down first. Meanwhile, a lot of times the ball and the knee go down at the same time. The ball's like two yards ahead of where that knee went down. And so I blame these. I think these eye tests is definitely worse. I'm all in on chips in the ball for determining first down, spotting, yardage, all of that good stuff. I'm in for all chip-based and robot and AI-based officiating. I don't care. I feel bad. Oh, these guys are going to lose their jobs. Uh, unfortunately, I just don't care. I want the best possible product. I think this brings it. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Lil Johnson, too, asks, crazy to think Neil is left tackle one, but Icky is right tackle one? Right side runs behind Icky seems like the idea. Yeah, I mean, coming to me, I'm just not the right person for this. I'm a big believer in not as much of a distinction between left and right tackle as other people believe in today's NFL, especially with so many good edges coming and rushing the passer on the right side. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I can understand what he's saying, but I, it's just not for me. Yeah, I agree with Dan. And also, Neil's the one with the right tackle experience, whereas Icky isn't. Right. So it's point. just pure projection at that point. Alfonso Wong C asks, if the Giants select an offensive guard in the second round, who should it be? That's an interesting question. Um, Zion Johnson, is he there? I'll take Zion Johnson. That'll be top of my list. That would be my number one target if you're asking that. And I ultimately think there is a decent chance that he could be on the board there at number 36. All. I know no one else seems to think that, but I think there's a chance. Otherwise, Kenyon Green intrigues me. Um, converting one of these tackles to an offensive guard, there are players there who intrigue me as well. Um, but top of just the from the interior guys i would say that my number one guy would be zion johnson i agree and yeah that exactly 100 uh, zion would be my first and then green and then some of those other guys we mentioned earlier in the podcast and then what is this belight 84 isn't joe shane stuck with the same lousy scouts from the prior regime yes uh yes he is um <laughs> yeah there's not enough time to change out the scouts it, it, it's not fair to call them lousy even though the giants draft obviously the giants don't have a very good draft dra uh, track record in recent drafts. We don't know the, each scout and who and what kind of role he played in any of those picks. What I know for certain, and I know a lot of people never believe this, or they just don't seem to think it, or they seem to want to convince themselves of otherwise. But from everything I've heard from now multiple GMs who I've talked to who have gone through this process as GM, the GMs make these picks, guys. A lot of the times the GMs go against the scouts, no matter how loud a scout is talking. And sometimes these scouts are even scared to get too loud because the GM loves a guy and he's going to get the guy that he loves. So ultimately, I don't know how much blame I'm going to put on the scouts. 
yeah, I'm not putting all that much blame on the scouts, but that doesn't mean Joe Shane will even keep them. It doesn't mean that right. they're lousy if they get fired. It all depends on continuity. I think Joe Shane will be open about it. I think he's going to give them a chance to earn their job as long as you work hard and do all the things that Joe Shane said during his opening press conference, but that remains to be seen. And then another question from the same individual, Belight84. Don't the New York Giants have to draft a wide receiver in the middle rounds given the injury history of Galladay, Shep, and Tony? And this is the last question, by the way. It's a good question. Um, have to. I don't ever want to feel like they have to draft any position. I think you should always be going best player available for the most part with obviously an onus on positional value. That doesn't just mean take a running back in the first round if he's the best player. Yada, yada. But I do think wide receiver is an important position to get in this draft. I think you should really be replenishing it a lot with swings on day three. I think, cause if you can land anything on day three, like now that the bills have landed Gabriel Davis, it helps them so much given their looming, really bad cap situation. Once they have to re-sign Josh Allen to have that cheap contract, that's potentially your wide receiver two, an upside wide receiver to play in a Gabriel Davis on that rookie deal. It helps a lot. And I know that deal is going to come off soon, but you know, if you can land it earlier in the process, you land it in year one or year two, he breaks out. It's so valuable to have those guys. So I like taking the swing on a position that's typically deep. And in this class specifically has a lot of talent in the middle rounds at the wide receiver position. Yeah, I like taking the swing as well. And a couple of names come to mind. Alec Pierce from Cincinnati, big bodied, really athletic guy who does a solid job at the catch point. Calvin Austin, complete different body type. The kid from Memphis. He's about five foot seven, about 180 pounds, but just very, very fast. Jalen Tolbert, another big body guy who I feel like is probably going to be around that fourth round range. He is from South Alabama. And then Kyle Phillips from UCLA. He's a really crafty route runner, has some really good tape against LSU back in 2020. And he was also solid this past season. So I think uh, those are some names other than type on board yeah no doubt about it all right thanks to everybody tuning in to the big blue banter podcast today have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon